0: Aim for the harder. you'll never stop me.
1: This short cigar belongs to the man with no name.
0: <laughs> I must take four coffees. <laughs> no, Mr. Adel, I took your gender there. Ha, 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 <laughs> I don't think it's
2: nice, hey everyone, welcome back to Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fair from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on, and invite you to tag along and help us in creating a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleazoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, we decide on the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes a month, the first of which just dropped last week, oh, yeah. and the second of which is coming up next week. So for the full experience, uh, those two new episodes, and the warm feeling inside of supporting us, we highly recommend becoming a fellow Sleazoid over at patreon.com slash podcast. And that, as always, is your plug for the week. I'm your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me, as always, is my co-host... Jamie
1: Miller. Welcome back.
2: Woo! So for all uh, our free listeners, you guys would have last heard from us uh, two weeks ago where we did a special Death Death Wish Wish. episode where we went back through the original three Charles Bronson films to coincide with the release of Eli Roth's (laughs) remake... Which, yep. oh boy. Um, <laughs> a little
1: disappointing, I, to say the least, I would uh,
2: say. So, if you guys missed out on that, I definitely go back and check that out. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and for our patrons, you guys would have just heard from us last week where we did a mind blowing David Cronenberg double feature of scanners and video drum, which we got to see on 35 millimeter print.
1: And all uh, its glory.
2: And all its glory, Cronenberg's personal copies. And that was pretty wild. So, if you want to hear that again, you can just head on over to Patreon. But this week, moving on to this week, We've got a very special guest coming on over from the YouTube side of things. Uh joining us with two genre classics this week is Chris Stuckman. Chris, how you doing?
3: Hey guys, thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it's great uh to To have you on this week, uh, so as is the case with with guests on the show, we like to have them nominate the double features. Uh, something you know, a lot of the time, that's either personal to them or something that they they feel they want to shine light on. So, Chris, what have you brought with you this week, and why have you paired them together?
3: Well, today we're going to be talking about the 1961 samurai classic *Yojimbo*, directed by Akira Kurosawa, Beautiful. as well as the 1964. Uh, spaghetti western also technically i guess it's a classic um a fistful of dollars directed by sergio leone these two films are often talked about together because sergio leone kind of unofficially remade yojimbo <laughs> uh without akira korazawa's permission <laughs> yeah
1: which we're definitely uh, gonna get into that a little bit I think. yeah he got sued yeah. right is that a thing that happened yeah, yep. yeah. lawsuit yeah. happened oh yeah
3: yeah Oh man! So I thought it'd be cool to talk about both of those because um, I recently reviewed The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And uh, in doing that, I wanted to go back and, and re-watch uh, Leone's Man with No Name trilogy. And in doing that, I went, okay, well now I want to refresh myself on a lot of Akira Korosawa's films. So I watched Seven Samurai and Rashomon and Nojimbo. And, um, Seven when Samurai. You guys- yeah.
0: Oh That's my God, movie. yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm going to talk about uh, Seven Samurai this month on my channel. I, I can't wait. Um, but yeah, Yojimbo is, uh, you, you can see so many movies that have sprung forth from it. It's one of the most influential movies. And it's so simple, too, of the film.
0: Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, I think I speak for both of us when I say we're real excited to get into these films. So That's what do right. you say, Yojimbo?
1: Yojimbo.
3: Let's do it.
1: Katana, pistol, no taikets.
2: all right so we are talking 1961 yojimbo directed by akira kurosawa uh this film stars to shiro mufoon i don't know if that's how you say it chris you might know better than me
3: (laughs) Uh, Mifune.
2: Mafune. That sounds a lot better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it stars uh, Toshiro Mifune as a nameless ronin, uh, a samurai with no master, kind of just wandering from town to town, letting a stick guide him on his journey. Uh, To where he finds a small village in feudal Japan where there are two rival businessmen or, I mean, I guess these would be really old school version of gangsters, gamblers, uh, Mm -hmm. struggling for control of the local town and the gambling trade in the town. Uh, So taking the name Sanjuro, which I believe he would later use again in the film actually called Mm Sanjuro, this Ronin uh, convinces uh, both sides that he's going to be their personal bodyguard. Uh, but really, what he's setting up is a way for himself to artfully start a full-scale gang war between both gangs, and hopefully end up
1: himself on top of both of them. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> he de- he doesn't seem like uh, he really. I mean, it's it's hard to get grasp his uh, motivation. I mean, I, I feel like it's more just a. Uh, he's just a confident man that, you know, like it's it's the, the dude just spills confidence. Like, oh, well, every yeah, scene, you get he, that
2: out of the opening shot, the tracking shot of him where Kurosawa shoots it with this telephoto lens. So you get this him in scale with these mountains in the background and he's right. just walking and he is the biggest thing in the frame. You yes. just can't. He's he's an absolute presence from the very first frame of this movie um and yeah his presence drives what is basically the rest of the film
1: right and something else uh the 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 score that's just abruptly brought out (laughs) right in the very beginning like it starts with a punch like there's no you know subtle like he's just walking you know down a field or something like that and you know some subtle subtle score of some kind it's it's truly abrasive and uh feel it sets the tone for the film as well
3: absolutely yeah I think uh, one of the things that definitely drives him um, early on is, is definitely money. Um, he is basically, balan- it's like it's like a balancing scale where one side will offer him a little more money, the other mm-hmm. side will offer him a little more, and he, he kind of plays them both. To It's one of the things I like about him is that there's a few moments where uh, some humanity shines through, um, like when uh, later this he finds out that there's this really like messed up domestic issue happening with this woman and he tries to you know let them escape and you can see some humanity in him but for the most part he's kind of he doesn't really give a crap really yeah, about very about it. yeah and i kind of like that i'm so used to um and even in uh, which we'll talk about next um even in the in the other film they they put Little bits of, of more like American Western humanity into the char- the man with no name character, whereas oh, yeah. here. Whereas here he's just kind of like, yes, I'm here and I don't care. And I'm going to make sure that everyone fights it, Like he climbs up to that watchtower and just, he's laughing. <laughs> yeah, having a
2: great yeah, like, that's a great <laughs> moment.
0: <laughs> I,
2: I even love, cause you, you mentioned that he, you know, he gets involved in a domestic situation where he's going to help this woman and her, uh, uh, or I guess the husband and his wife kind of get out of the town. And even when he does that, they're trying to thank him. And he's like, you are weak. Get away from me. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, It's great.
2: Yeah, and, and what it kind of feels like is uh, Kurosawa himself was inspired by American Westerns, especially the the 50s ones that were happening at the moment, and he felt they were kind of just a little prestige that they were... Yeah, the, that he the, called
1: them preachy as well. They yeah, that they were preach they were, too much, he said.
2: Yeah, that the, the Western heroes were like these folk heroes, these good men coming into town and fighting for the right things, and he was right. like, wouldn't it be more interesting if you have this dude who doesn't care about any of that? And yeah. honestly, he really d-
1: just in it for himself. It, it works. Uh, for it, the money, yeah. it makes
2: this a really fascinating portrait of, uh, you know, violent men and the cycle of violence that's going to continue with them, which is a, a staple of all of his work. Seven Samurai probably uh, his biggest one about kind of the the real consequences of violence and living these lifestyles.
3: Yeah, there was a YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting that's no longer around anymore, and he had a really excellent video about Kira Kurosawa, and uh, it was called On Movement or something like that, where he talks about the way uh, Kurosawa uses weather in films, uh, specifically rain and wind, to create depth in his in his images and his frames. Because this is a small town. It's not really that big of a place to be filming an epic in. But- yeah, in a, in a way, this is. It feels kind of like huge, a,
0: though.
2: It yeah,
3: does. does. It's like it. a little mini epic, and like the way he uses dust so much in the film. I was reading up on the uh, the making of the movie, and I guess they brought uh, truckloads of dust and, and dirt in, <laughs> and, and, and when they were blowing it around, it made a lot of the actors have a hard time even keeping their eyes open because the dust would keep getting in their eyes. Uh, but it it really worked out in, in, in the frame because it just makes every image look like it has so much depth.
2: Absolutely, yeah. He he really likes to use these these long lenses that really make things pop in the frame. Because whereas mm-hmm. a lot of people, and including Leone himself, who would later in the Fistful trilogy use a lot more wide angle lenses, you you see a lot of his his planes and his backgrounds. Whereas with Kurosawa, he's he's a lot more focused on just what is in the immediate surroundings of some of these characters. Um, and so he how he makes that he, how he gets the surroundings and the geography is by what you said, uh, movement that he'll, which is what makes this film feel just so modern. Like I was watching it and yes. I was like, this is from 1961. And I feel like I'm watching a movie that was made maybe not today, but not that long ago, yeah, just because the, the way that his camera moves and the way that he he, he picks up all of these surrounding objects in the frame and the way that he cuts, especially, um, I love the bit where the two rival gangs are on opposing sides and he's cutting between the two different sides as he's going up as, uh, yeah, Mufune's going up into the tower. Yeah, and, and the such. groups
1: are actually shown as kind of cowards towards each other as well. Uh, yeah. they They, one of them starts to run and then the <laughs> other starts and they back up and then they keep going back and, and forth that's, that way. That's
2: one thing too, about Kurosawa. Kurosawa was funny.
1: Which yeah, a lot of yeah. people,
2: I think, because he's such this canon filmmaker that people look back on and, he, you know, he made these black and white subtitled films. And they're get, gritty,
1: too. Like, yeah, people
2: yeah. get a bit of just like, uh, you know, they think of him as, and he is an art filmmaker, he is, mm-hmm. but uh, especially with this film, um, there there's a real comic violence to the way that this is done. Which, again, sort of yeah. translates even away from something like Seven Samurai, which takes a lot of that very, very seriously that's where you get leone inspired by this and where you get tarantino inspired by him where there's there's a comedic rhythm to what's happening and there's um here there's there's like a real kineticism to it which is you know a flow and an ebb that, you know, you might not other that, you know, it's really underappreciated when you watch action and you watch, uh, character driven things now.
1: Yeah. Like this, like this guy is the personification of Zen, you know, (laughs) he's just like every single time he approaches, uh, you know, a battle or really any even social issue or something like that. He has 100% confidence in himself. (laughs) Even after uh, the, the first time we see him fight, for instance, when he goes up against like, uh, four to six dudes at the same time Oh and he takes an he, arm off Yeah and not only does he just Yeah that was And that was great too The pra- Some of the practical effects in here uh, One just to Before I finish my point was uh, when there's there's a scene where a guy gets cut, uh, I think it's his upper arm or his neck or something, oh, and, and uh, there's yeah up. there's a <laughs> spray of blood, and I honestly did not expect such a practical effect to be uh, used. It really actually got me. I was like, damn, that was some. heavy Well, because
2: that's almost like an '80s splatter film yeah. technique being yeah, really used didn't. in a '60s, <laughs> especially with the, <laughs> Japanese with the rest epic. of the
1: movie, how they're kind of just doing slashes and there's no mm-hmm. real, um, you know, you don't see the cuts or anything. Obviously, because they they can't couldn't do that, I'm sure. But yeah, one one thing
2: i really appreciate about uh Kira- kurosawa is again how he he likes to fill his movies with a, a lot of detail cuz his his premise uh, as chris mentioned uh it's very simple um and which is why it was so easily translated to the Western and was inspired by the Western because Westerns, again, very simple premises. But there's there's a richness in the uh, the details of the stories and uh, of the characters. And in this one in particular, there's lots of little nice touches like the the dog who comes running out of the town with the with the <laughs> severed hand. It <laughs> yeah. really sets which the tone. is great.
3: Yeah, that's so great because like um, Akira Kurosawa, he was looking for a way to basically set up that the town was evil and and that there was something, something to be feared there. Mm. And that image is—it's perfect. You, you have like this, you know, nameless wandering guy just approaching this town, and here comes a dog holding a severed human hand. It's—it's it's a great image.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. It really says something and sets you up for what's about to ensue. Yeah. It also kind of speaks to that uh, comedic value that he throws into his films as well. because it's shocking. Cause, yeah, yeah. Cause, and it's also—I mean—the way that the, the dog is holding this severed hand, but it's a dog, so obviously he's got this kind of pounce to him. He's happy. <laughs> he's having a good day, but he's holding a, a human. Sever.
2: Hand. <laughs> yeah, and they also have uh, the dude. I forget what the disease is called, mm. where you you sort of oh, grow the, the irregularly. Tall, yeah, yeah. yeah the, he he kind of looks like the giant from Twin Peaks. He has like the same thing. Yes, Who, who we saw just last year. He was in uh, Gerald's game. He played the Moonlight right, Man. Right. So he has that kind of look about him, where he's this really just big man. And the first time you see him, he's holding like a giant wooden hammer. Yeah. And I <laughs> was immediately, of... I was like, Who is this guy? I want to know <laughs> who this guy is. <laughs> so this
1: is a little a little irrelevant, but. It actually reminded me of uh, the Arkham games with the giant guy and the hammer and yeah. the clowns or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I think funny. there might be I, some I, influence th- there.
3: <laughs> I thought he reminded me of um, Jaws from the um, from Moonraker, the Bond film. Uh, oh, Yeah. And I actually, for two seconds, I was like, no, that, that, no, that can be him. And, and then I, as soon as I saw him in Up Close, I was like, okay, no, no never mind. That's a totally, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> totally different person. But yeah, he was such a great presence because, and, and it, and it kind of goes hand to hand with what you were saying about Akira Kurosawa um, kind of being heralded as this art filmmaker who made black and white films with subtitles <laughs> with foreign language um, that were th- over three hours long. And oh my <laughs> God, I, I can't watch that. But, like, he he was kind of an entertainer. Like Absolutely. He was way more of an entertainer than people really talk about, which is one of the reasons why his films have resonated so much with people. Because um, when I sat down, in the past month, I, 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 um, I re-watched Rashomon, Seven Samurai, and Yojimbo. And I had forgotten how funny and entertaining they were, all three of them. And, and so it kind of goes also hand-in-hand hand with what you were saying earlier um, a few minutes ago about that shocking blood splatter because it it also got me too. I was like, oh, damn. Like I didn't expect <laughs> yeah. that.
1: Yeah, for for real. I just I, – I was – and especially like I said with the slashing before, um, it just – it came out of nowhere and it really works because it's pretty much the only – major practical effect uh besides maybe later on the when arm the, yeah the arm too. and also when uh at the at the end when the um uh the the gunslinger yeah uh, he's like just lying in a pool of blood and and the pool <laughs> just keeps you know getting bigger and bigger and there's even a part where he's like Head first in it and the and he's dripping with his like it's crazy. It gets pretty pretty nuts.
2: Yeah, there's again there's there's just sort of uh you know, he he strikes a really good tone between, you know, comedy and entertainment and also the violence, which is I think the mm-hmm. larger point that he's trying to make about this, where he's trying to take on something like the the John Wayne, Gary Cooper kind of Western, or, like, Shane, which would have uh, just right. won Best Picture, uh, I think, a few years earlier. It's just that movie without the sentiment. It's like, right. you know, there's a, there's no moment where, like, Shane is, you know, or where, I guess in this case, uh, the Ronin is... You know, an overtly good guy in the way that Shane is in that movie. Yes, definitely. this is this is just like pure nihilism, yeah. um, which I think would just eventually define Leone as well. Which is what Leone would take from this, and I, which is why I think that the the tone that he strikes is what really resonated with Leone because he would again copy that kind of uh, that deeply cynical, uh, brutal violence. It's almost like
3: it's almost like anarchy, a little bit. Like he he's just. It reminds me a little bit of um, that speech from The Dark Knight, which is obviously you know something people talk about a lot. But where um, the Joker is talking about turning the city on its head by going to by using politics, by using guns, by using fuel, and all of those things, and it's kind of like that. Where I mean, he's not like a villain in this film, the character, right. but he's
2: he's just, he just more truthful about like his own actions. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and he doesn't really seem he 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 has a part of him that cares. But I think the perfect image that basically sums up his character is just him sitting on top of that watchtower laughing and smiling as the two people, the two warring sides are about to clash because he's just entertained by it. Um, And and I love that about that character.
1: Yeah, he views them as... uh just stupid, I think. I think he he views himself as he he kind of understands things a little bit better. Uh, and yeah. when he pins these people against each other, he finds <laughs> some great entertainment in it. Well, and and, and he's yeah. gonna
2: he's gonna get the best deal out of it too, right? That's yes. the whole idea. And what yeah. I find really funny about this is that the two bad sides, because com- contrast this with with you know the actual westerns where it's like bandits and and other mm-hmm. kinds of things. Here it's just gamblers. Like yeah. that—that's the ultimate degenerate in in feudal Japan, right. uh, which was you know just a bit of a cultural difference. But it's it's interesting to see. Uh, one thing I love that Kurosawa manages to sneak into his films too, and I think we'll get into it in a fistful of dollars, just because it's something you really can't translate to an American version of this. Is this sort of switch in Japan to a more Western modern Japan? Which, uh, for him, he symbolizes in the presence of of guns um, in his films, which make a huge difference. Because in in Seven Samurai, it's a really big deal because the other team has guns and, and and he doesn't. And it's also made into a deal here, where he's sort of meditating on on you know the idea that the the lone swordsman is sort of like antiquated, mm-hmm. that he's not going to last much longer because soon there's going to be sort of like a a democratized violence where right. everyone is going to have a very easy, less skilled version of killing each other. Yeah. Um, which is what is, uh, you know, one of the central villains of this film, who is the dude who only pulls out a gun through uh, the center of his kimono, yeah. which I, I don't know exactly why he does Maybe that. It's
1: his heart. <laughs> but it, it was, it was a compelling image to yeah, see that he yeah. would. <laughs> and I got a bit of a, a sense that, Because they had that character use the gun, there was a a lack of (coughs) honor that that character had and some cowardice that came with it. Uh, just because, I mean, he's maniacal. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. That, that one shot where the, uh, the building's on fire and he just like turns and there's the big flame in the background and he just gives this big smile. I'm like, damn, you're an evil dude. Yeah. Which,
2: <laughs> w- which somehow Kurosawa manages to very distinctively separate from the image of the Ronin laughing at the violence because it's a very yes. different kind of violence. Yes. Very true. Cause the Ronin. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the Ronin is like this sort of gang violence where they're gonna take each other out. Is you know, it's it's a service to the town almost, and it's a service to me. Yeah. Um, whereas the violence by this dude uh, is, uh, let's just say, not that because I'm pretty sure he's burning <laughs> down like just the the other gangs, like brothel or home, yeah. It's, or, I it, think
1: it's uh, it's either the brothel or the um, uh, the place that they keep all the sake. Can't right. the brewery. That's yeah, the even way. more
2: important. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> even more important. I love that, that. I love that boy. bit where
2: the dude's running through and all the sake is spilling out, and he's like,
1: <laughs> fill the holes. It's like, dude, it's like the flood. There's no way that you're gonna fill the he's all. He's trying, the trying holes. to like stuff himself in the holes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically like shoving his head in there. Oh, yeah, man. even
3: the character. The character with the gun. Even even he. um There's when he dies at the end. It was spoilers um
2: <laughs>
1: 1961
3: spoilers yeah. bro come on uh, spoiler warning uh when he dies at the end uh he even tries for a second to see if he can get one more shot with the gun and uh, right. uh Mifune stands up and he's like yeah, he even he died the way he lived reckless or I I think I'm paraphrasing that but yeah. but yeah he he's a very evil he's an evil guy and uh the gun like you said that's a great that's a great catch I didn't think about that the gun really does sympath- um symbolize his lack of honor uh, in life and which is shown later, even in death, he tries to get one. He, he, he likes, he's, Worms his way into getting his gun handed to him and then tries to get one more shot, but he can't.
2: Yeah. And it's it's just funny because it it kind of twists because there's a really nice moment that he has when he's he's dying and he's like, I feel naked. Like, I I can't Mm -hmm. go into the other world without my gun. Like, it's it's a part of me. I need it. Yeah. And it's a real nice, like, empathetic moment. And and then obviously, again, it's undercut by the very character. There is something
1: that he says uh, before he dies, too, which is I think he's talking to. I, I don't know what to call him i just called him yo jimbo in my notes but the the lead uh the lead samurai who, what would we call him i guess since he has no uh Senjuro sanjuro okay, sanjuro. okay yeah, sanjuro. or the nameless ronin right right <laughs> um but he says uh he says to him um i will meet you at the gates of hell uh which for one is the most metal line i've ever heard in my life uh and uh and two, um, I feel I felt kind of like he looked at that the Ronan as evil in a sense as well, yeah, uh, an equal. aggressive, violent, right? Exactly, and I thought that that was kind of interesting.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, cause I, and I love, too, that, you know, basically the whole movie ends up going down where there's the, these variation on this gang war happening, um, and he's sort of escalating it, and then he becomes part of it when he gets beaten up, uh, and I, there's an awesome bit where he gets to travel through the coffin, which it's established mm. earlier on that the coffin maker is the only man in town turning a prophet yeah. which again is just <laughs> yeah. a really nice detail that really kind of sets up this whole thing Definitely. but what he says death and destruction has just happened for an hour the town is ripped apart uh, you know a everything's few, on fire <laughs> yeah a few people have survived and he has this great line where he's just like now there will be quiet in this town. Oh, my my right. work here is done. <laughs> yeah. there, there's no re, there's, there's no welcome. rebuilding
1: phase. It's yeah. just it's on right. out, yo.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're
1: welcome. <laughs> yeah. Super too. Now I can go too, on to another town. Yeah, yeah exactly.
3: It. It's like what exactly brings him to this is what I as what I'm curious is. Um, it's one thing that's not really discussed that much in the film is what made him a wanderer, you know, why at this age is he just kind of like this disgruntled guy who wanders through towns and says, yeah, I'll kill some folks here and then wander to another one. I want to know a little more about his character, but I I like that, uh, I, I, like you said, I like how it ends. He slices the ropes. He's like, yep, we're good. And he walks away.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, I, I agree with you. I think that, uh, this will actually lead us into, so Chris, what we do at the end of these segments, actually, which is what we're going to get into now, we get into what we call the reductive rating round, which is where we take away all the words and nuance we just spoke about the film, and we reduce the film itself into a number between one and five. Now, I know you do letters, so you don't sure. have to participate no. if you don't want to. Oh no,
3: totally. <laughs> yeah, I can do. I can. I can adapt easily.
2: <laughs> well, this is what we do: Got a conversion is, chart and everything. You know? Is this is where we explain our our rating a little bit when we give it so for me yajimbo is a super super strong but it's a it's a four for me okay. and the reason is what chris bought up is that i really did feel like and i i like this um very much in theory i like what kurosawa how he's sort of meta taking on the the western genre and you know putting his you know his own spin on it and commenting on it Um, But I really did feel like I I needed something more from the character itself, Mm. which is why when I look back at something like Seven Samurai, uh, the characters in that are are so rich and the commentary for me is even more rich. So I look back on that and I'm like, that's a five for me. So this one's going to be a four.
3: Chris, I will agree completely and also give it a four out of five. Uh, I think that it's a visually stunning film, clearly influential. These are all things everybody already knows, but when you go back and watch it today, you really can see, wow, Like it's, I see every movie that's like this right now and before my eyes in this beautiful black and white presentation, which by the way, Akira Kurosawa's films are some of the best looking black and white films ever made.
0: Absolutely.
2: His, his lighting it, and the shadows, oh my God. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah.
3: So great. Um, but for the same reason as you, I, I feel like um, I would have liked just a little more insight into what made him a wanderer? Why has he uh, adopted this sort of, uh, like you said, nihilist mentality where he doesn't really care either way? Because clearly something occurred in his life that has given him a, a little bit of humanity. Because he lets the the woman and the, and the husband go, and he feels a little a little sympathy for him in a small way. And so there's a little window that you can peer into into his soul there for a second, but. For the most part, he's just this sort of badass guy, and I think Kurosawa yeah. was interested in that portrayal, and and that's cool. But that's really it. Uh, this is a a great, great film. Um, but besides that one little point, uh, that's about that's that's it's great. Besides that,
1: for sure. Nice. Uh, I'm actually gonna give it a five. Oh damn. I now now let me let me set a little something up here. This I, was your I, first Kurosawa yes, film. Yes, <laughs> I'm I'm one of those guys that. Uh, I just I didn't watch many older films. I mean this this podcast is truly a journey for me. Uh, so I, this was my first time being introduced uh to to Akira so uh just I was blown away. I just I didn't expect what I what I saw. I loved every minute of it. I actually kind of like the mystery behind uh the character. Mm. I felt I felt like it just um you know, there, there's something just so intriguing about that concept of the man with no name. You know, mm-hmm. and, and having that that mystery of him just walking into town, he does his thing, and then literally walks right out. Credits roll. You know, there was there was something about that that I just oh yeah, those opening and closing
2: images are right really strong. And just
1: his 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 confidence. Um, like there's, I think there's uh, one part in the film where he gets beat beat up pretty badly. And uh, yeah, by the giant, the right? First thing, yeah, yeah. And he thinks that maybe he, he this might be the end or whatever. But first, he goes, "I'm not dying yet." There's a bunch of guys I have to kill first. And I'm Which just, fair like, enough, this man. Confidence, <laughs> like, this confidence, like this, this even after he's been beaten to almost death by this like six foot seven guy, he's just he's still ready to go. And then another great line was. Uh, where he says, uh, I think it's to the wife or to the husband. He's like, start crying and I'll kill you. <laughs> like, it's just, he's just like this ruthless, uh, totally confident man. And I don't know, there was something about him that I just, I loved it even, even with the mystery. So yeah, I'm going to, sure. I'm going to give it a five out of five. All right.
3: Speaking to his, uh, speaking to his really quick, uh, speaking to his ruthless line, uh-huh. lines, uh, line delivery. He, when he, at the end, he just looks at the one guy and says, go hang yourself. <laughs> which
2: oh is like God. mic drop dude yeah, like that, jesus oh <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that dude man just ruthless
2: all right well that was yajimbo and oh, yeah. so going after yajimbo we're gonna go right into uh sergio leone's uh unsanctioned <laughs> remake <laughs> Yojimbo. yep which he got sued the shit over uh <laughs> we're gonna be talking about a fistful of dollars so let's get into it
1: let's do it this short cigar Belongs to the man with no name. This long gun
0: belongs to the man with no name. This poncho
1: belongs to the man with no name.
3: Rico,
0: did you want to see me? What's wrong, Ramon? Losing your touch.
2: All right, so we are talking A Fistful of Dollars, the 1964 film by Sergio Leone. Uh, the very famous Italian filmmaker who reinvented the western genre with this film, *A Fistful of Dollars*, stars Clint Eastwood as the Man with No Name, or the Man with a, f- a few names that people call him at random throughout the franchise. <laughs> so that wasn't as catchy. This <laughs> is not quite as catchy. So they no, to, it's, you know. it, it doesn't quite work as well. Uh, but *A Fistful of Dollars* has him the exact same as the uh, nameless Ronin of uh, *Yojimbo* entering instead of a Japanese village, a Mexican village, uh, in the midst of a power struggle between three rival brothers and the local sheriff. When a regiment of Mexican soldiers bearing gold intended to pay for new weapons is basically completely destroyed. (laughs) Uh, So the nameless man, uh, Clint Eastwood, he finds himself in this situation, stuck right in the middle of a uh, weapons slash, I don't think it's a drug war, I think it's a weapons war, yeah. <laughs> um, right in the middle uh, of the Mexican government and the American government and uh, Mexican gang and uh, some other, some other uh, Americans, uh, and he starts selling information to both sides in for his own benefit. So loosely, this is the exact same movie as Hujimbo Beat for Beat. Pretty much, uh, yeah. <laughs> even yeah.
1: Even, like, they just, like, they got everything from, like, the the dogs replaced with a guy on a horse. Yep. You know, like, you just got They, they got, like got the coffin maker. They, yep. got, they got the yep. nice,
2: uh, like, uh, tavern owner. I, yeah,
1: I even think they have the line um, where they're, like, uh, that the coffin maker is the only guy making money right now. <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's even, you know, they they have a lot of tips. Tip of the hats to Rio <laughs> Jimbo. We'll call them
3: that. <laughs> yeah, you, um, could, you could call it a tip of the hat. I, I call it a ripoff, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's it's still a really good movie, though. I mean, yeah, like for what it thing. is, it's not as good as um, for a few dollars more, the next one. I uh, wholeheartedly or cer- certainly agree. not as good as a Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, but it's still you know an entertaining spaghetti western. I'd If, if only it said in the credits. <laughs> you know, for inspired sure. by, <laughs> and then it would be like, okay, I feel a little better about this.
1: Yeah. It kind of does leave a bit of a, a sour taste in your mouth. I, like for me, I, wait, when you watch them back to back, you're kind yeah, of like, yeah, Oh, which I did. <laughs> I think in the like same day. So it, it was kind of like, it really was watching the same movie again, but with just somebody at the different at the helm. they yeah, switched a few little things, you know, but yeah. like yeah, it's it's pretty beat for beat. And, and what what's so fascinating
2: about an American, I mean, I guess this is an Italian Western, but to see yeah. what is largely an Americanized Western remake of a Japanese film inspired by American Westerns, you kind of get something lost in the middle. There, yeah. yeah. <laughs> where you're kind yeah. of like the, the story works. Don't get me wrong. For sure. Uh, and you know, there's some, there's some great spectacle in it. And the reason that this film, you know, is, isn't dismissed out of hand as a, a remake is because the style was so hugely influential. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you kind of, you get a glimpse at what Leone would basically eventually perfect. Yeah this is a very bare bones um Leone picture seems like everything too um, like
1: even the score you hear the hints of things oh, yeah. that are to come you know and th- th- that defining western score yeah basically. apparently Morricone
2: actually just kind of used stuff he had already written so it oh, wasn't okay. even written for the movie oh, really? in particular oh, I mean okay. he was he wrote new stuff for the movie but it was the the main, the main stuff was already just going around in his head okay but then you move into a few even just a few dollars more of the direct sequel like the the Morricone score in that is just phenomenal like it it's a huge upgrade it's it's more mythical and operatic mm-hmm. um, and leone is a lot more uh confident and assured as a filmmaker at that point um and
3: the, uh the story too is a better too i mean in the second one with um uh with a lot of really great little hidden themes like uh, lee van cleef the um the other bounty hunter uh in great that great final addition, du- that, that final duel Ooh. towards the end where you realize that that's his sister and all these like great themes that are uh, exploding in that movie. We're, again, we're talking about the first one, but yeah, I, I like seeing the evolution of Leone as a filmmaker. Watching this movie, the first one, mm-hmm. you do see like all the little. It's like he's placing dominoes all around yeah. this <laughs> yeah. this area that will eventually topple. Yeah, but you're kind of it it, it. it sounds like I like it. I do like it. I, I like it quite a bit. It's just it's a little shameless. You kind of have to admit it. it's a little shameless.
2: Yeah. 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 It, it, and it's, it's just hard to watch it right after you Jimbo <laughs> yeah, where it's that's, the exact yeah. same movie. Cause yeah. the, the basically the main thing that it does different, cause even if it did something different with the character, maybe we'd let it slide more, mm-hmm. but I, it basically wants to have the same comment. It just wants yeah, to it be a
1: mysterious it, mythic kind of man. Yeah. yeah. And it,
2: it wants to make the, the version of, of Shane where the dude walks into the town, but just, it's not sentimental. It's brutal. Yeah, It's uncompromising. Yeah. Um, there's no real good guy. He's not, there's not even the bad guys. Um, everyone's kind of gray in these movies. And this wasn't an, a really important development for the Western. Um, mm. cause at the time everyone was kind of, again, as Kurosawa said, they were, I wouldn't say necessarily preachy, but they were getting a little full of themselves. The Western, they, right. they became the great American movie. Um, right. Yeah. and I think some people were starting to get bored by the people who, you know, there were Obviously great movies that fit that category, but there were too many people translating it into like really boring television shows at the time yeah. where there was all these Western TV shows that were just hitting the, the same themes and the same things. And you're just like, how many times can you see the good guy, you know, take out the bandit and you know, you say something different about it. So these, uh, so Yojimbo was a, a comment on that and which makes a fistful of dollars, its own comment on that, except it was more widely accessible to Americans at the time. But what Leone brings himself is his, a very different style than Kurosawa. He's obviously very inspired by Kurosawa, but um, he does these very sweeping, almost cartoony um, kind of editing, and uh, the, the movement especially is different. He likes to use uh, extreme close-ups um, in ways that a lot of filmmakers wouldn't have been doing at the time they save those for the big emotional yeah. moment.
1: There's also a great part where, uh, the at the at the end where uh, the rifleman uh, mm-hmm. was shot. Uh, R- Ramon, I think, is his name in the film. That sounds right. I think it's Ramon. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but there's a, a great shot where it shows him from the first person point of view, yeah, and it shows uh. The man with no name—I guess we'll just say—in uh, just right in the center of you know just what they were having their standoff, mm-hmm. and it's it's such a great perspective to see him, the man, just stand there—the guy that just took this guy out, you know. Yeah, the, and the I guess himself.
2: Yeah. yeah, and I guess what what separates that is because Kurosawa has those images as well, where you see right. uh, him him standing in these really sort of picturesque kind of images, um, but there's a real hint of uh, grit and Italian exploitation. Cause that's what really mm. separated these from Westerns. People would have been watching was the exploitation factor.
1: And one of them is apparently Italian films. They would, uh, film them silently and yep. then dub everything, which yep. really gave a different feel to some of these scenes, but right. we, we, which does the,
2: the, dubbing does give you this kind of disconnect between the yeah. images and the sound. Especially
1: There was a beginning scene where, where it's, it's pretty off. Yeah. Um, but I guess I mean it, it added a bit of character to the film in a way. It was kind of like reminiscent of martial arts films, you know, when they had. Well, the, that's just it. Is the that the, these
2: exploitation films? Obviously, they were made for a lot cheaper, right? And and, and that's why they were able to get away with um, you know more grotesque. Content they didn't have studio executives paying the money that they needed to, you know, uh, account for, so they could just make whatever they wanted in their story. And it also meant that, uh, in terms of style, they couldn't get the nicest camera in the world, but they had freedom to play around and time to play around. Mm. Um, and you know, so these exploitation genres and it's the reason kind of we started this podcast was to go yeah. through films like these. Um,
3: yeah, and um, one of the reasons uh, you mentioned like getting away with more grotesque imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leone didn't really follow the rules of cinematic violence in the sixties. No. Uh, most movies back then, you would you'd see you'd cut to a close-up of somebody firing a gun, then mm-hmm. cut right back to the guy and he like grabs his chest or his shoulder or whatever really quickly and Gah. he has like he's got the blood he has the blood packet like in his hand. Mm-hmm. You know, like right. that's what they were doing. But no, like in this film, you get an over the shoulder of Eastwood pulling his gun shooting like five guys and they all just fall down and it's in one wide and you're like, damn, damn, that was awesome. And, and that's kind of, uh, something that Leone perfected really well was letting, I mean, you can show it like you don't have to censor it. Like if you're trying to make a point about your hero, which by the way, that scene, the opening scene, um, not the opening, but that first real conversation you get from clint eastwood who deserves a lot of credit for one of the reasons why this movie is as good as it is because so his true. portrayal his portrayal of in this movie is called joe uh that scene <laughs> that scene with the horse i don't think it's nice you laughing <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so great my horse um, is offended bro <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i Apparently. got i have the quote right here uh you see my <laughs> doesn't like people laughing he gets the crazy idea you're laughing at him. Now, if you apologize, like I know you're going to, it might convince him that you really didn't mean it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that's one of my favorite scenes.
2: Yeah, if anything anything comes into this film and out of it fully formed, it's Clint Eastwood's persona as this nameless badass because he walks into the frame from the first image to the last and he really does blow you away. And we've previously talked about uh, Dirty Harry on the show and we really praised uh, Eastwood's complex performance in that which we think mm-hmm. really uh, sells that film and it also does it here which is amazing because uh, Dirty Harry I still think was I think like you know something like 8 years away from yeah. this so yeah, this was even before bit. then yeah. so I, it's interesting because Clint Eastwood this obviously this is what made him the big star that he is before he was kind of just a, a bit of a TV dude uh, and what was funny is I researching this film I found out that they almost cast Charles Bronson I was literally just about to say that <laughs> and I was like what even would this be with Dude. Charles Bronson because we just did and Death Charles- Wish and I don't know Chris if you've seen the original Death Wish films but Charles Bronson is pretty baffling in those films and I, yeah. I almost can't even imagine uh, I him see in this now. I mean <laughs> now Leone did eventually cast him in Once Upon a Time in the right, West so you right. do get an idea but right. Bronson was a little bit more practiced at that point when he did that film he, right. and
1: he declined the film because he thought the script was bad, and which I find funny because he goes on to do Death Wish, yeah. which like I mean Death Wish is fun, but the script is not <laughs> good in my opinion. Uh, yeah, so Death no Wish,
3: only. Death Wish is like Charles Bronson kills people. The movie, like, like
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's really nothing else to say in that sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is. Uh, I just found that amazing that he was like, no, the script, the script's bad. I'm like, but you'll do trash like Death Wish. Okay, fair enough. Yeah,
3: yeah. I was happy. I was happy that Clint Eastwood, uh, you know, evolved the character is used in in each three films. Uh, the, the sorry, the next two films, and the character evolves the. Shooting evolves, the the look evolves, the music especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this mm-hmm. first one, you sort of it, you mentioned it earlier. It is kind of a bare bones look at what Leone can do, and and Eastwood, to be honest, because um, Eastwood has a lot more range than this. We've seen that in movies like Million Dollar Baby, and but he, he's always sort of like kept in this box, and
0: mm-hmm. this is ass. really.
3: Yeah. And, and like the Gran Torino character, you know, yeah, where he's get off
0: Malone.
3: Yeah. <laughs> he he know he knows his persona and he knows how to play it. Um and that's something I that's something I've always liked about him is that he's not he doesn't seem pretentious really about mm. his persona or, or who he is. I mean, he made like eighty five westerns man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> didn't like, he even made say so that. Many.
1: And there was and, a lot and of he trouble made, with Dirty Harry because yeah. people didn't want to get casted in that, but he was like, I'll do Dirty Harry. Yeah, you know? he, because he saw it... It seems like the, he, just he, against he saw the it, grain, you know? He, yeah, well,
2: he saw <laughs> it as the cowboy brought into the police force, right? Right, right. Um, and, I mean, props to him because, you know, he was still making westerns all the way up until the 90s when mm-hmm. he directed his own Unforgiven. And, you know, some would say that's still among the best that there's ever been because he was still complicating his own persona. And in Unforgiven, yeah. that was a case of him... Wrestling with a lifetime of being this uh, basically a monster, he saw himself as, mm-hmm. um, which is a really complicated thing to do after that. Obviously, in the 60s, launches your entire career. Yeah. So. Yeah, props to to Eastwood. The dude really was a true star. Yeah. Um, also and to some... see him swagger and grimace his way through this is is pretty stellar to see. What For was For sure.
1: Uh, well, there was uh, just because we were speaking on the casting. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy, Richard Harrison. I'm not. Do you know who Richard Harrison is? I, I don't know if I particularly. No, I don't know. think so. Well, he was apparently offered the role. And uh, he s- was the one to suggest Eastwood, and he said that perhaps his greatest role in cinema was suggesting Eastwood for this film. Oh, so I thought well, that he changed pretty, cinema history. Yeah, like sure. just by, give him a call, give him a call.
2: I mean, so I he, thought that was Eastwood would go on to define so many actors. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty unbelievable, the story of stoic badass with a, uh, he's a little ruthless, yeah. but he's got a little bit of a smirk to him. Yeah, It's uh, just the it's fact a really he went through so many
1: people before we got to Eastwood, and he's now like, he's the iconic a mm. cowboy you know absolutely
2: uh and one thing that this film does too that uh i mean again you got to give more props to yojimbo because yojimbo did it first <laughs> i know
1: it's almost give this whole movie props to yojimbo
2: yeah yeah but there was <laughs> but, there was sort of uh because we, we mentioned earlier that there was you know the westerns were kind of getting into a bit of like a um a very morally simple mm-hmm. um, you know the the cowboy Today, is pre- the regi. folk hero the good guy <laughs> um whereas this sort of had a bit of more of a vietnam era uh, cynicism and and nihilism to yeah. it and this had a little bit more time to to flesh that out because uh you know kurosawa might not have been interested in in vietnam uh commentary at that time whereas uh some of these were a little bit more interested but yeah a huge thing about this along with yojimbo is again the the, the deadpan violence and humor that is is you know interwoven in in mm-hmm. all of these which is obviously what made leone tarantino's favorite filmmaker of all time because those two things would go on to define his entire career yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> but yeah there's there's a real sense to the to the violence in here that is obviously it's it's very blunt very brutal very to the point and as chris mentioned willing to go places that other films at the time wouldn't go and what's insane is that this was made in 1964 and i don't think because it it was made for a European audience because over in Europe, Amer- American Westerns were popular. So they were like, we're going to make our own American Western in Europe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they made it over there. It didn't get over to America until 67. And I can't even imagine because I know that we're kind of being a little bit down because, you know, it's not as Just good. It's, it's, it's not as good of yeah. a film as Yojimbo and it's not even as good of a film as Leone yeah, would go the way that to we're make.
1: Talking, it's like, guys, it is good. It's still a good film. Even actually, yeah. Akira even said he was like... It's a good movie, but it's my movie. <laughs> <laughs> <And> I'm, <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how I'd explain it. But imagine, well said, Akira. <laughs> imagine
2: watching this movie when it went over to America in 1967, when all you had previously seen were things like, uh, you know, Shane and and High Noon and previous John Wayne films, right. and you would probably feel like you're watching something wholly new. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
3: totally. I'd crap my pants if I was if I was in the 60s watching this because. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's kind of um, we we saw a similar um, change after nine eleven with uh, the way we approached our action films here in America. For sure. because in the nineties, you get your Con Air, you get your The Rock, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Angelina Jolie's Face Tomb Raider. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> that massive. And, and, piece. and then like as soon as uh, as soon as nine eleven happened, all of a sudden everything got a lot more dour and a lot more like terrorist themed, and uh, yeah. violence was suddenly very scary. And it's hmm. the same with, like you mentioned, with uh, those 60s westerns when they, uh, those first few uh, that were very successful were those fun, good-hearted American films where you can leave going, yeah, that guy killed a bunch of people, yeah. <laughs> love, like,
2: love me John Wayne and my gun, son. <laughs> yeah. Exactly,
3: me, exactly. But Leone brought that sort of uh, darkness to it. And it, I don't want to say darkness, but I guess just, um, just more of an edge yeah. that felt more like, Yes, these are people actually murdering each other. It's yeah. not and we should it's look it's not at just that. <laughs> Yeah. And, and that was something that uh, he really changed the game in regards to Westerns.
2: Yeah, because there is there is something untruthful about, about not addressing the consequences of this kind of violence, which obviously yeah. these movies would have changed. And I think shortly after this came out, Bonnie and Clyde would have came out, which I know a lot of people were really upset at because it had them yeah. doing some pretty brutal murders. And this was in 1967 or 68. Uh, so mm. Leone kind of... And Leone was ahead of the curve on what would eventually become Americans addressing this sort of violence in their own world. Definitely. Um, but I think that that's a fistful of dollars. I think this is where we're going to enter the reductive rating round on this one. Unless uh, Chris, you got anything you want to mention? Got any notes?
3: No, I think you guys covered it really well, and I agree. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's weird how when you watch it and you, and just having watched Joaquin Bell, you're like, yeah. I see all the comparisons, and it does sort of it does leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth because of that. But you have to also understand what this movie did for uh, westerns in general and how influential it was. Just like *Yojimbo*, Mm -hmm. Um, it it sounds like we're trashing the movie, but I mean, (laughs) it's it's a really good western movie. It's just it's also Leone's probably worst western movie out of his most famous ones. Anyway, he made a few that weren't that well known, but. That Which reminds me, I really... Give me two seconds. I want to know what the title of that Western was. Oh, uh,
2: one is uh, Duck, You Sucker.
3: That's, That's it, one. Duck, You Sucker. Yeah, yeah.
2: because I, I just actually picked up the Sergio Leone anthology on Blu-ray. It's sitting right here. So this was a really good excuse for me to bust it out. Uh, okay. So I got to watch Fistful of Dollars, and then I was so... In the mood.
1: I was so in the mood, I <laughs> yeah.
2: immediately queued up a, a few dollars more, which, uh, uh, you
1: know, I just... I love that movie so much, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's something interesting too, just cause we were speaking on the, kind of the know, copyright issue, I guess. Uh, Leone kind of argued that the, uh, the story of Yojimbo was from a, a novel, an American novel, apparently mm. by, by called uh, red harvest. And so Leone did a, a bit of an argument with people because they were accusing him, of course, of you know this unauthorized remake and, and all that. I mean, the lawsuit happened and all that. But he said that he uh, since it the, it was based on it off of a American novel, he he felt that he was bringing <laughs> the story back home. Essentially, is what he said. Oh, come <laughs> on, brother. yeah, it's a like, bit of a push. Like, but- come on, if,
2: you, if you're if you're gonna copy the dude's beats, like you're, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna take like the moment with the,
3: the, the coffin dog, maker the and, coffin, and you're, gonna, coffin, you're gonna you're gonna the, the take son, images. The
1: <laughs> the whole family thing is totally lifted. Yeah, yeah. But he's I even, just I thought even that was strung great. Strung
3: up by ropes.
1: Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, like, like, dude, yep. your
2: your screenplay is a beat for beat remake of the same screenplay. So it's <laughs> yeah. just like, and, and again, that's the only just, issue that we have with the film, right? It's like, yeah, because you did right. it well. I was like Eastwood's you excellent. Uh, the filmmaking is is excellent. Uh, all of Leone's touches and is in in the filmmaking. He really does differentiate himself from Kurosawa. Mm-hmm, it's really sure. just the screenplay that's the exact yeah, same. So it, that, yeah, which which is again when Leone would go on to write uh, his own screenplays with some. Uh, People who spoke uh, American, because he uh, didn't. yeah, there's a big <laughs> language
1: barrier here. Clint Eastwood had Definitely. to use an unofficial translator on the set. Yeah,
3: yeah. There's a, a little quickly before we do the grades. A little, a, a kind of funny story. The first time Eastwood actually saw the movie, he saw a print that was the original Italian language from from all of the other actors. Oh, right. And so, yeah, he got all of his friends together to watch the print. And even though he couldn't understand anything that was being said, he was so taken by the look of the film and the feel of the film. He was like, I guess what the the story says, he said, yeah, I'd work with him again.
0: (laughs) That's
3: awesome. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess he really, yeah, I guess he really liked it. But um, the language barrier is definitely an issue if you care about audio, which I'll talk about when I grade it.
0: Yeah,
2: Yeah. Sure. well, and that's one thing about Leone is, uh, honestly, he could probably, he would have been one of the biggest filmmakers uh, in the world if he had been in the silent era. And, I mean, he was yeah. a big filmmaker, and he was a really big deal, but he would have been, like, like we would have, stu- like, I went to film school, we didn't really talk very much about (laughs) Leone when Um, we did uh, World Cinema History or whatever. He would be talked about the same way that we talk about like you know the expressionist filmmakers from Germany and whatnot if because his storytelling could be done without dialogue which Mm -hmm. is like dog why do you why did you need to take someone else's script you could have just right
1: which I guess is like pretty much what Eastwood was saying right. Yeah exactly. He he viewed it in a different language and was still like this is amazing. (laughs) Yeah because
2: there's so much of his storytelling that you can just you get through the movement and the images and the editing—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's truly is like a you know great filmmaking and it's awesome to see when he gets into it later, which will bring us into the reductive rating round. Yeah, uh, which for me, I, I almost—I almost feel bad that this is going to get a similar rating to Yojimbo because I'm going to give this a very, very light four, which I'm <laughs> going to d- differentiate from the very strong four that I gave <laughs> Yojimbo. Yeah, yeah. But I would feel bad giving this a three because it's so strong other than the screenplay. And I feel like mm. anyone who watches yeah. this movie and hasn't seen Yojimbo so. is going to be floored by this movie and probably love the shit out of it because it's got, it's got yeah. a lot of the same powerful themes that we talked about in Yojimbo and the filmmaking is strong and Eastwood is awesome so like you know i feel i feel bad giving this anything less than a 4 so that's what's going to get for me
3: yeah same with me 4 out of 5 and um one of my one of my big issues with it is is actually the audio i, I as you said it was mm. um over it was overdubbed later and um when i watch a foreign film that has any type of foreign language i i prefer subtitled i don't want to watch the dub so like old martial arts movies. I try to track down the original language if I can, if it's not available. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only version I could find of this was the English dub version. And obviously you want to hear Eastwood speaking English, but everyone else I would have preferred to have subtitles. And I understand that that's not uh, mainstream. And so so we have this, this dub and it did kind of get under my skin. This is the worst of the three for the dubbing. they, they get better and better as, as his films go along with that type of thing. but um,
2: More money will do that. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely true. Um, but also, of, of course, the obvious Yojimbo comparisons kind of make me not be able to give it more than a four. But again, like you said, it is extremely entertaining. And if you had never seen Yojimbo, you're going to watch this and be like, wow, that was a really entertaining Western movie.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm also going to give it a four out of five. I mean, same reasons. I, I, I almost wanted to give it a, th- a, a three, a three yeah, you just because of the because at first I thought this was an official remake when you told me when we were going to do the show and you were like well it's a remake of Yojimbo I'm like oh sweet but then when I looked it up and you know there was the lawsuit and the I'm like oh that's that's way different that's yeah. a that's a different feel there but w- like you guys said the, the movie's just too strong like I just I, I could not feel good mm. about giving it a three and uh um, and I mean, hey, Akira gave it a an okay. He just yeah. said it was my movie uh, that you're <laughs> yeah. um, So yeah, I'm al- I'm also gonna give it uh, a four out of five, and I'm I'm looking forward to going down the the, the trilogy because I, I never got into westerns when I was mm-hmm. younger, so this is me kind of getting into it for the first All time. Right, well, so. I'll probably lend you the the Leone Blu-ray That'd collection. That be would beautiful. There. That'd be beautiful.
3: <laughs> you're gonna yeah. have a blast, man, because each successive one gets better.
1: Sweet, it's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I I'm very excited, very excited. So yeah, I'm going to give it a 4 out of 5. Sweet. All right. Well, that was Fistful of Dollars and
2: Yajimbo. Yeah. So, Chris, thanks so much for uh yes, joining us this week you. and bringing us these films. It was a lot of fun to talk about them. A little sad that uh for Leone and Kurosawa it ended up being uh maybe not the ones that we were the most hyped about for both filmmakers, but it was the first time we've talked about either of them, so it was really awesome for for you uh to bring them
0: on. Yeah.
3: Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. It was really fun to talk to both of you guys about it, because classic films, to me, they they sort of revitalize me a little bit, because there's only so many strangers pray at nights and hurricane heists (laughs) that that I can deal with. I need to go home. Love that genre. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, I need to go home, and these films are kind of like medicine to me, to be honest. They kind of revitalize me and, and make me realize, yes, this is why I love movies. This is where uh my love comes from and so it was good to, to take that trip down memory lane with you guys
2: yeah and it's, sure. uh, obviously it's a huge reason we started the show we talk all kinds of classical uh films and exploitation films and this was a good combo of both I think yeah um definitely. Chris this is the part of the show where we do plugs if you got anything to plug and I think you got a big thing to plug
3: <laughs> I do uh I actually <laughs>
0: <laughs> I noticed <laughs>
3: Yes, uh, uh, I wrote a book recently with a bunch of authors and uh, it's called Anime Impact. It's uh, coming out April 15th. It's uh, all about the influence that Japanese animation has had on our culture and cool. the, the films that we see here in America, uh, the Western kind of influence that has come about based off of tons of anime. Um, classic titles, DBZ, Naruto, One Piece, Sailor Moon... Studio Ghibli films, but there's a ton of very niche titles in the book, movies and or TV shows that aren't commonly talked about that I'm really excited for people to read. Um, I, a lot of it is written by me. Uh, most of it is, but there's a ton of work that's been contributed by authors like Ready Player One, author Ernest Cline, um, cool. uh, Mark Crilly, author, of, uh, author and artist for Brody's Ghost and Mickey Falls, two mangas. A ton of YouTubers, Nostalgia Critic, Doug Walker, Robert Walker, Comic Book Girl19, uh, Bennett the Sage, White. Um, and But what I'm most honestly excited about is the fact that the book has uh, tons of submissions from people who aren't necessarily known, mm. but I, I, I know them and I know that they are fantastic writers and they've been writing for years and they've never had an opportunity to let their voice be heard. That's um,
0: awesome, dude. Yeah, that's great. Good and on you.
3: And they're included in the book as well. And honestly, uh, they submitted some of the best entries. And my original kind of theory I had when I talked to the publisher was if you talk to somebody who's wanted an opportunity for their entire life but never has been given that opportunity, they are going to try so hard oh, to make yeah. the, best, the best work they can. And I, and I, and I was right. They, I, those were some of the best entries I got submitted. So I'm really uh, excited to share it with people.
2: That's, that's awesome. awesome, and they can uh, pre-order that on Amazon, right?
3: Yes, sir, Amazon. All right,
2: well, we're going to throw that link in the description, so if any thank of you, you guys out there are interested in picking up that book, uh, I know I am. I would definitely thank go, you. go check thank, that
0: thank
2: you. Go check that out. Um, and, yeah, so for that's it for this week on the show. Uh, next week, for any patron uh, listeners, we have our second bonus episode coming out. Uh, where we're going to be taking a deep dive into uh, more Vietnam-inspired action films. We're going to be taking a look at Rambo First Blood, oh, and yeah. we're going to be comparing it to uh, Rolling Thunder.
3: Oh, my gosh.
2: Sharpen your <laughs> hook hands,
1: folks. Woo! Sharpen your hook your hands. Your hook
2: hands and your shotguns, <laughs> and Tommy Lee Jones getting his going gear. unhinged. <laughs> it's Craziness. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun talking about those, so uh, if you guys want to hear that episode, you can go subscribe over on Patreon, and if not... Uh, you guys will hear from us again in two weeks' time, where we're going to be getting into some Verhoeven, I think, but we haven't exactly confirmed that episode. Uh, as always, you can find the show at uh, on Twitter at at Pod and me at uh, at the Josh L, Jamie.
1: And I'm at Jamie Miller ACAS, A-C-A-S.
2: Awesome. Uh, again, thanks so much for joining us, Chris, this week. If you ever want to come on again and talk anime, uh, I've, we would definitely be down to do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure.
3: <laughs> That'd be great, guys. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. That's gonna be it for this week, guys. Keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.